Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us for another episode of Equal Play. I'm your host, Annie Costable, and this week we have a legend with us. I'm honored to welcome in three-time WNBA Coach of the Year, four-time WNBA Championship head coach. She has two as an assistant and USA Basketball Women's National Team head coach, Cheryl Reeve. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us on Equal Play. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled and I don't want to waste any time. So if you don't mind, I'd love to start from the beginning. And Jim from the Star Tribune just recently wrote in the best way that, you know, some of our, our sports icons have the best origin stories and you are no exception to that. So when you first embarked on your coaching career, you know, after graduating from LaSalle, what goals did you have set for yourself? And, and have you checked all of those off? <laughs> uh, you know, I remember as I uh, sat in at my desk as an assistant coach, uh, you know, I certainly have always been someone that, you know, wants to be great at, at, at what I do, what I'm doing. And, and as opposed to, you know, I never sat around and said, okay, you know, in 10 years is what I want to be doing. You know, I knew that I wanted to be a head coach. Uh-huh. Um, and and, and uh, obviously I wanted to be a great assistant. I knew I had to do well, you know, to position uh, myself uh, for good jobs, et cetera. But I always tried to be somebody that appreciated where I was and what I was doing and not looking for the next thing. Uh, but I do know very uh, distinctly, um, you know, having some great uh, college coaches, female college coaches um, that weren't necessarily mentors, you know, close up, but more from afar, like a Pat Summit, Tara Vanderveer. Uh, I always really, really admired their longevity of success. And, and I always thought that's just really hard to do. Uh, and you just hope, you know, you hope that you're half as good uh, as, as those legends and that would be a successful career. That, that's how I thought of it. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's advice that can translate so well to any industry is, is that, that message of not getting too focused on any one end result, but, but being focused on the moment and being great in every moment. So is that really, you know, the key to longevity and, and a successful career, not just a successful moment? Uh, I think so. Uh, that's, that's the only you know, thing I've ever known is, you know, that idea of, of being present and, and, and locking in on the day, so to speak. I, I know we've coached our teams that way. Um, you know, cause sometimes I think when you look up and you look out and, you know, your, your, your mind wanders and you're not locked in on the details that are necessary to, to be successful, to achieve those great things. And I've always believed that uh, the little things add up to the big things and, uh, the big things take care of themselves. You know, if you're really good at the little things, you know, we've always said, you don't, you don't, you know, so we said to the players, it's not about, you know, doing extraordinary things. Some of them 
weren't capable of doing extraordinary things and it came natural to them. But uh, that's not what it was about. It was about doing ordinary things extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what's, what's, what's defined, I, I think, um, you know, the, the way that I coach our team. Well, the links certainly have accomplished a lot of extraordinary things, but is there any advice now at the place you're in in your career, looking back at your younger self that that you would have, that you would wish you had back then, looking back at, at the young coach you were? Well, I mean, I think it's it's natural, again, whether it's in sport or, or just in life. I think when you're younger, um, you really don't know the, the things that are really important. You think, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and I also think that I probably spent too much time as a young coach uh, or even as a young person sweating the, the small stuff, so to speak. Um, you know, now you catch me and I think people that have been with me for a while, like a Sylvia Fowles might confuse that with getting quote softer. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more that you just start to realize okay, is that one really worth getting all that worked up about right now? <laughs> you know, uh, you know there, there, are, there are bigger things. And in the grand scheme of things, that's not that big. And, you know, and I feel like the, you know, that in life as well, you know, when, when maybe things that used to bother me or that I would, that would get my attention or my energy just don't anymore. And, and yeah. uh, that's just not something that I, you can tell your younger self uh, to, to, to be because it, that, you know, it's, it's acquired through right. years, you know, and that's, that's the beauty of getting a little bit older. Right, right. It's one of those lessons that has to be learned through experience. You can't necessarily. Absolutely. That. Is that a direct quote from Syl calling you soft? Uh, yeah, I mean, she has. <laughs> <laughs> she said, coach, you're getting soft. Absolutely. Now, um, I've, I've never been confused with being soft, but but yeah, that that was that's her interpretation. You were with Indiana State when the WNBA, you know, was established. And I wonder if you remember where you were, what you were doing you know, when it was announced that there would be Women's National Basketball Association and had you heard talks of it even before it was, you know, announced to the greater public? Yeah, I don't remember um, so much the announcement on the league. What I remember is, you know, the excitement around the first game. Uh, Uh And I was actually on vacation. So I remember exactly where I was. I was in St. Croix uh, (laughs) on vacation. And, you know, I I believe the game was in the middle of the day. Um, It feels like it was on a weekend, middle, like kind of like middle of the day. And uh, and I remember, you know, you're on vacation and people want to be out and about. And I'm like, no, I'm staying right here. Like we're, you know, we're tuning in. <laughs> uh, and so I remember feeling uh, great excitement for that. And then, you know, I was actually a season ticket member of the Indiana Fever uh-huh. uh, during, you know, when I was coaching. And, and that's really, you know, what, what kind of made me go, gosh, I really enjoy watching professional basketball. And that was at its very uh, early stages and, and it's grown uh, so much since then. But I just remember being very, very drawn to the sport. You know, obviously being the head coach at Indiana State, I imagine that prepared you in, in so many significant ways to make that jump to the WNBA. But thinking about it, how, how much did that impact your ability to make the jump to the WNBA versus joining a staff, you know, in the league's first years, had you, had you done that? Yeah, I'm not sure on that. Uh, you know, really, I think in my experience as a head coach, you know, no question it, it, it uh, you know, when, when you get to be a head coach and then you go back to being an assistant, you're a far better assistant coach than mm-hmm. you were, you know, the years that I didn't have the head coach experience. And, um, and so I think that 
from that standpoint in my, my first uh, position with Ann Donovan, with the Charlotte Sting, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I was a better assistant uh, b- because of that for sure. Uh, but in terms of the quote jump um, from, from college to, to pro basketball, uh, that's just not, that's another thing you just really can't prepare for. I mean, that's, that's a very easy transition. You're talking about uh, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the talent level, you know, is really easy to coach from a basketball standpoint. Um, you know, coaching in the pros is really more, uh, it comes more about relationships and, um, and, you know, just, you know, being able to sell what it is that, that you envision for your team. College basketball is very different from that. And, and so, um, so in that way, college didn't necessarily prepare uh, you for pros, but um, I think just the idea of being a head coach, uh, at the collegiate level, you know, was very, very helpful and instrumental in my early years as an assistant coach in the WNBA. Yeah. Can you describe that challenge as a head coach in, in selling your team on a product, on a mission, on, on a goal? And, and every year is, is that challenge different or, or have you locked in on it and, and now, you know, approach it the same every year? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, and that, that's the part I enjoy the most. That's the, you know, kind of the, each journey is different and, you know, each season we call a journey and yeah. uh, everyone is different. And that's what you, that's what you learn through the years. You know, I'm 20 years in a league and I, I can remember my 2001 first season as well as I can remember 2006, 2016, et cetera. Like it just, um, it, it's, it's just so, it's so pivotal. I think the, you know, the training camp, the teaching, the, the coaching part, uh, to a season that they're also memorable. Uh, and so in each season, uh, you know, there is something different to quote sell. Um, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of, you know, you, you form an identity as a coach. And once you have that, then that's the staple. Everybody knows what's expected. Uh, but each year your as your personnel changes, uh, the leadership team may change. It might require, uh, different energy and focus from you uh, to to move that leadership team in the direction you want them to go. Uh, you could have younger players that might require more attention, more time, uh, you know, doing different things as opposed to bigger picture stuff. And uh, so I think identifying what each team needs each year, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the fun for me, that, that strategizing. And then uh, I absolutely love the interactions with players and, and <laughs> on an individual basis as a, as a team uh, because that's the beauty of this is, you know, the, your ability to get each person uh, in the framework of a team to be their very best, uh, to establish goals for them. Um, you can think about them individually. They can certainly think about themselves and set goals, uh, but also it's good for the team. And, you know, that's, that's the fun of coaching, I think, is, is trying to get each person uh, what makes them tick. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you get them to be their very best for you? That, that's the fun of it. You know, I have to say you guys, your coaching staff, the team over in Minnesota seem like you have just so much fun. When I was there for the single elimination game this year, it was just from from the jump was the atmosphere at the Target Center was just so exciting. So I, I imagine that you all do have a lot of fun because it was shown, you know, from from start to finish there. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we we pride ourselves in, in the whole organization, um, you know, the the presentation of the game itself. There's so many people that work so hard for that and, and to make our our place one of the toughest places to play, one of the best places to play. And uh, and then, you know, just the environment with our team. Uh, I like it when everybody shows up excited to go to work. 
And, and so that's what we try to do every day too. We don't want anybody to uh, be getting in their car, driving to work going, I don't really <laughs> like doing what I'm doing. You know, there, there's nothing worse than that. You know, I always say this, like when you, when you go into a, a coffee shop or, or somewhere and you just, you know, you're, you're having a good day and you want, and then you get a barista who's just doesn't like their job and it sucks the life out of you. Right. Well, we never want to be that <laughs> in, in yeah, our group. Right. And, and so that's, that's, that's the mission. You know, I had this conversation with my mom the other day. I was like, I have a hard time taking time off because I love, I love my job so much and it's, it's a good, yeah, it's a good problem to have. But, you know, one of my favorite aspects covering the WNBA is, is just everyday learning and, and seeing this intricate web of, of coaching crossovers, who comes from what tree and what ties you all have to different players in the league. And obviously the Sky head coach, general manager, James Wade, and yourself are one of those connections that that's just so fun to see every time you guys coach against each other. And he's spoken to me a couple of times about his opportunity in Minnesota and the fact that it almost didn't happen. He almost took an assistant job here in Chicago, but then, you know, had that interview in Minnesota and the rest is history. So, you know, jumping back to that time with James on your staff, what did he bring as an assistant to Minnesota? And and what did you see in him then that, you know, allowed you to see what he was going to accomplish down the road? Yeah, I remember that well. Um, And, and I, uh, we were losing a a very, very strong assistant in Jim Peterson, who had been with me for a number of years. Um, And I wanted to make sure you know, that, uh, I, I always joke too, that Jim Peterson made so much money. I could hire two people. So I was, I had two <laughs> people, uh, and, and, and James was one it, like immediately that was a priority for us. Uh, and the reason why it was a priority was because of where James was, um, kind of on his trajectory with Dan Hughes, with the uh-huh. San Antonio stars. Um, I, uh, had so much respect for Dan. We've helped each other through our careers when there were openings, you know, to suggest names for one another. And, uh, so that was a very easy, easy one for us to, that we looked at and we said, okay, if we could land James, um, that would be really helpful. Uh, and the drop-off wouldn't be uh, as great as, as some of maybe the other candidates. And, uh, James, I think what, what he brought was just a, a uh, very passionate coach uh, with teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Hughes was very strong in that area. I know James came from that same pedigree. And uh, so I knew he has a personality, as you all know. Uh, he's got a good personality with players. He, um, you know, just a love for teaching and, and you know, just enjoying being in the trenches with the players, whatever the players needed, uh, he was going to do that. And so, you know, he had a really unique connection to the game through his wife, uh, at Vige, who, who uh, played in the WNBA. So James had a bit of an advantage uh, in terms of his knowledge, uh, his knowledge base of the players, the game itself. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was something that we felt like was a really good hire, really important to kind of continue our tradition of having strong assistant coaches that were really good for our players. And so he fit in really, really well. You know, you two, whenever you're, you're sharing the court are, are two coaches that I always wish I, I like could be a fly on the wall for your guys' conversations when you meet at half court. So I wonder <laughs> for you, you know, how much do you enjoy coaching against James? And do you have a favorite coach, um, you know, you enjoy coaching against in the league? You know, I, I don't know that anybody that's worked for one, one another enjoys playing each other. Uh, it's just <laughs> necessary. So you don't think about it. I don't, I don't go into a game with Chicago. Go, oh, we're coaching against James. No, you're, you're locked in on, 
you know, you're, you're going against, you know, Courtney Vandersloot and Candace Parker, you know, right. it's more of that. Uh, and that's, I think that story is more for other people as, as opposed right. to the two coaches that are in it, uh, which I understand. Um, but I, I don't have, you know, favorite coaches to go against really doesn't exist. I mean, it's really more, um, you know, you, you want to go against the ones that bring out the best in you. And I, right. I brought up Dan Hughes and um, I, those are memorable as opposed to my favorite. They're memorable because how hard they were. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't tell you it was my favorite thing to do because I knew that if we didn't bring our A game, it didn't matter you know, that maybe our record was better than theirs. Uh, so I like going against coaches like that, that bring out the very best in you mm-hmm. uh, and make you better. And I, I would say that, you know, James certainly does that. Uh, and I hope that we do that in terms of, you know, when James looks at playing us. And so um, th- those are the ones that, you know, that, that like, you know, it, it challenges you who doesn't want a great challenge. And um, but there's nothing significant about the fact that, you know, we used to work together. It's not that, like I said, that's more the narrative for other people. Yeah. For us, for us journalists to play into, to <laughs> try Absolutely. and hype up the drama a little bit. Um, but James obviously was part of the 2017 WMBA championship coaching staff. And that was y'all's fourth title in seven years. And, you know, something I just, I've really tried to understand and, and wanted to understand better is just the challenge of repeating in the WNBA. And I've spoken to different coaches, players, executives about this, but, you know, obviously yourself as a four-time WNBA championship head coach, in your words, what makes it so challenging to repeat in the WNBA? Well, I, I think things change from year to year, right? So you could have, this is what I tried to explain to people. You could have the exact same roster that won a championship. Right. Uh, that, that is, it is not guaranteed that the next year you come, that you're going to have the exact same vibe on that team for a variety of reasons. There are people, life changes, and the, you know, the, there's just different reasons why maybe somebody has a better year one year versus the next. And so you never can predict how that's going to go. Uh, that being said, you know, we, we did, uh, other than the 2014 season, we were in the finals every year. Right. Um, so as close as you can get to repeating, a lot of teams don't even get back to the finals. Right. So 2011, we win the championship 2012. We're back there as a heavy favorite, I might add. Uh, and, and, you know, we get beat by an Indiana team that was like a Cinderella story. Um, and then, you know, we're back in the finals in 2013, 2014, we don't make the finals. Our record, we win 25 games that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back when we had a conference play and the Phoenix Mercury happened to win 29 games that year, which was just incredible. So Unbelievable. Our down, I'll take down years that give you 25 wins out of 32 games. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so, so we were, you know, consistent like where I'm going is we were consistently really, really good. And, and, and in the finals, six out of seven years, four championships, the repeat thing, uh, should have happened in 2016. Um, that was very unfortunate. I thought we got it done. And, uh, you know, the, the debacle with the officiating at the, at the end of the game, uh, our win probability at the point when the shot clock violation occurred that they didn't review, um, you know, was considerably, considerably high and, you know, you never know how the game's going to go, but, um, that was unfortunate that we didn't get the chance to, um, you know, decide that on our own, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, but you know, like you said, it, you know, what says in the, in the history books is that we, you know, that team didn't get a chance to repeat and it's hard to do and it's hard to do in every sport and free agency now, I think is going to be a big reason why, um, it gets harder and harder because retaining, uh, your team, keeping your team t- together is going to get harder and harder in the WNBA. 
Right. And that's another thing I, I'd love your perspective on, you know, obviously players in the WNBA sacrifice so much. So I don't at all want to like say this as, oh, they need to sacrifice even more. But what what is the um, likelihood of players you know, maybe taking less on, on their contract in order to keep a championship team together. Like, does that happen? Will, will we see that happen? Yeah, it absolutely happens. Um, and it was happening before, um, you know, the, the money's higher for those players now. Uh Um, and so maybe it gets easier for them to take a little less, but we've always had players that were willing to, to be on team friendly deals in the name of making sure we had money, uh, to have a depth of talent, you know, to, to keep, you know, a team together, um, you know, or to attract uh, other top talent. Uh, it really depends on what are, where a player is in their career. Yeah. You know, some players, you know, like, like some may be driven by money and won't stay, you know, sorry, I got to go. Uh, Cause sometimes it's hard, I think, to be a player that uh, might be the one that's always, you know, kind of taking the hit. Uh-huh. Uh, so really, it really depends. Uh, I've seen all of that in the course of my, my 20 plus years in the league. Uh, but, but, but it happens for sure where a player identifies, Hey, we have a chance to be really good again next year. I'm going to take less. So so-and-so can, can make sure that they get what they need for sure. You have athletes that, that have that mindset. Sticking to our, our playoff discussion, what are your thoughts on, on the new playoff format and not only how it's going to affect competition, but but fans as well. And, and you know, maybe bring in more fans to the league in, in the coming years. Well, I, I thought it was necessary. I'm, I was really pleased uh, that, that we made that recognition that, um, you know, while there were maybe a couple of positives, you know, in the idea of a single elimination game, none of them were coming from people that were doing it. Right. Uh, it was, you know, more external, uh, you know, people get excited about a single elimination game, but it's professional sports. And, you know, you identify with, you know, being in a series. I, I think being in a series, it creates greater drama, greater storytelling, greater knowledge. Uh, it develops rivalries. Uh, we've seen that, you know, I, you know, look no further than the LA Sparks, Minnesota Lynx, uh, tremendous series that we had for a couple of years, I believe, uh, really helped to change the WNBA in terms of its growth and its viewership and, uh, that, that I think that we're standing on today. Uh, and so I, I think it was necessary. Uh, we, we still have some, uh, challenges with it. Uh, the biggest thing is that we're as a league that the footprint of our season, um, you know, we play in the summertime to get away from other sports during the winter. Mm-hmm. We're trying to fit in this window and that window is so darn tight. Right. Uh, the footprint of the season with regard to playoffs, if you start to have series, longer series, then, you know, your season goes longer. Um, so, you know, we have some challenges. The, you know, the TV windows get less, the you know, facility availability changes. And uh, so we have a number of things that we're navigating, but I think it was important that we say, um, that the, the third place team, the fourth place team that have great years, um, don't have a situation like many of us had, uh, where, you know, you, you play one game and it doesn't go well and you're out, uh, right. after, you know, you know, being the third best, uh, in our case. And, and, you know, there were other teams as well. It happened to Connecticut a couple of years. Uh, New York had a tremendous team in, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but anyway, um, you know, I, I get the idea like where this was, where this came from. Um, but I think our, our league, the timing, you know, the, our league is much bigger than uh, that idea of a single elimination game. And so this was the right thing. Uh, now, 
we, we are going to play a three game series in that first round. Um, there, there could be some things that show itself with that, that we're not going to like, right. uh, for example, that home team that you don't win your first game and you happen to win your second. Okay. Series is tied one-to-one. Well, guess what? Now you got to go win the series on the road. Right. Um, so that's, that's not ideal. And, um, you know, we, we'd love to see the one, 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 uh, situation, uh, the, the thing that's going to prohibit that from, uh, or what prohibited that from, uh, passing was just the travel in our league. And so you can see, we have, uh, unfortunately non-competitive issues, uh, that are affecting uh, the competition part of it that I can't wait for our league to, uh, to be thought of differently and invested in, in the same way we invest in men's sports. And so we can move away from this sort of thing, uh, that I think ultimately hurts our game. Yeah. You know what, like just would quickly love to hear from you about, you know, some of those, those issues. And one of them is travel and how close you feel like the league is to implementing private travel for you all. So that's games like this issues like this are, are non-issues, non-factors. Well, I'll say that we're the closest that we've ever been. Um, you know, the, the, the narrative has been heating up over the last few years. And right. I think, I think what's most important is that the narrative isn't just um, players or, or maybe even fans, you know, it's really coming. Uh, the conversation is really being driven now more by some ownership groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's really meaningful. And so you have, you have some owners that want to move the needle with regard to how we are investing in women uh, and, and, you know, playing 36 game schedule in this shortened time, like we are this year, um, you know, to, to be able to do the best, the very best that we can for these professional players. I think we are very close to it. What does that mean? Um, you know, could there something break and be as soon as this year? Maybe, um, but it, it is imminent. I, I can say that. And, and we all want it. Leadership, the league wants it. We just have to figure out the economics of it. Right. It definitely, I mean, having covered the league, it feels like now more than ever that this is something that the league is on the brink of, of making happen. But we have a few more minutes left together and I definitely wanted to get into a couple more topics. One of them being, you know, a player who has absolutely been the heart of the Lynx organization. She's an icon in the league and, and definitely a favorite here in Chicago as well. And that's Sylvia Fowles. And something that was really special to see in person was her accepting her defensive player of the year award this past year and, and how everyone spoke about what she's meant to the Lynx organization. And so I wonder if you could even answer this, but, but what would the franchise be without her? Wow. Um, well, you know, the 2015 championship probably doesn't happen. Right. Uh, you know, so, but more than that, more than the championships and the defensive players of the year award, um, you know, or MVP candidate. Uh, so, you know, it's clearly success on the court um, w- would not be as great without great player, right? Like you got to have right. great players. Uh, so she's been that, she's been a rock for this organization. Uh, when I think about how our roster has changed and, you know, retirement um, and, 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 you know, just kind of the end of some careers of, of those players that were, you know, iconic in that seven year run that we talked about. Um, Sylvia Fowles, you know, is a player that has been incredibly loyal and mm-hmm. generous uh, to the franchise. And so it's so much more than the wins and losses when someone with a player like Syl uh, because of the person that she is. And so um, she's everything, you know, she's like you said, the heart and soul, the leadership, um, you know, just, 
who she is in the community for us. All the same things I'm saw, I'm sure that you saw in Chicago. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we're fortunate that, uh, you know, we've, we've had a, a chance to have a player like Syl and uh, she'll forever be etched, not only in WNBA record books, uh, but the, in the hearts and the minds of so many people here in the, in the Twin Cities that have adored her. And, and she's been a tremendous role model to so many, you know, boys and girls and, you know, just, just an incredible experience. And I feel blessed that, that she's, uh, you know, been a Lynx for so long and hopefully we'll, we'll finish her career as a Lynx. Yeah. I mean, she's one of the players in the league that she walks in the room, walks on the court and, and you're immediately like taken aback by the greatness you're in the presence of. And, you know, this is about to be one of the most exciting free agency periods, I think for fans. And so is an unrestricted free agent. And I've read that it's, you know, obviously a top priority for you all to resign her, but where is she at in that? Is, is retirement a big consideration for her at this point or, or how, how would you say she's feeling about all of that? Yeah. I mean, I clearly I've, I've talked to still through the years and, and, you know, just like some of the other greats that we had uh, navigating the end of a career is of paramount importance to me. Um, how, how we send a player off and the way that we communicate and, um, you know, how, how do they envision this going? And, and so those talks are ongoing with Syl and, um, you know, I, I can't share the most, um, you know, kind of intimate details of all that, but, um, but, but, um, you know, like you said, Syl's a free agent and, uh, Syl is that player that you, that we mentioned about the team friendly deals and things that she's done. Um, and, and, you know, you know, free agency, free agency is a, you know, it's different now than what it used to be. And, um, I, I think that still should listen to every team that calls, you know, I, uh-huh. I'm quite sure that 12 teams are going to call still, uh-huh. um, and, and she won't like it very much. Uh, she doesn't <laughs> like that kind of attention. Um, but, but she should, I, I will encourage her to do that and, and, you know, and kind of help her, you know, decide what, what she thinks is best for her. Cause she deserves that. She uh-huh. deserves the best. Uh, for however long uh, that she might have left. And uh, I want it to be in Minnesota, of course. And, um, you know, but I also want what's best for Syl. Absolutely. And, you know, I can't let you go before we talk about this new position of yours as the head coach of the women's national team. And, you know, the 2022 World Cup qualifying tournament is right around the corner. When can fans expect to hear about that roster yeah, that's a good question. I know the committee's hard at work on that, contacting players. And uh, as you mentioned, in February, uh, we have a World Cup qualifying tournament, February 10 to 13. Uh, we'll have a, a little bit of a camp prior to that. And so right, it's ongoing right now uh, uh-huh. where USA Basketball is reaching out to players and see who's interested and obviously health of players and whatnot. Um, and so we'll, we'll start with an initial pool uh, that will certainly evolve uh, as time goes on. So uh, this initial pool does not mean that's, you know, that, that that's, uh, you know, who we're going with. Um, right. this, this is the nice thing is that the it's the initial pool and it's a kind of a, a start over from the, the last pool. And and uh, we'll, we'll see what takes shape for us. And considering the transitional period that the team is in with a handful of vets, you know, retiring from international play. When you look ahead to the 2024 Olympics, what excites you about the future of this team and the new players that will lead it in pursuit of another gold medal? Yeah, it's always hard to envision, 
you know, life after greats, like a Sue Bird, <laughs> you know, uh, like and we've done it in Minnesota, you know, like you, you know, the, with the retirement of someone like Lindsay Whalen, you're going, everybody always asking, what's the succession plan? And I said, there really isn't any for some of the all-time greats. You know, you wait for the next all-time great, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's the only succession plan there is. And, and I think what you also learn um, is that there's, there's a, a great deal of talent uh, in our league. Uh, and so it's an opportunity for someone else. Uh, to show what they're about. They don't have to be Sue Bird. Uh, We can be successful in a different way. Uh, And that's what I'm excited about is, and we've had to do that. We've had to take on a different identity as we transitioned away from, uh, you know, that team that we spoke about. And um, you can still be successful. And and so that's what we're looking at with USA Basketball is, okay, Sue Bird, you know, uh, all-time great. And, you know, but we, you know, I think that we can uh, still, you know, have a a guard play that, that, uh, you know, representative of what they do in the WNBA, you mm-hmm. know, that, that's going to be really talented. It may look different mm-hmm. uh, and that's okay. Different isn't bad. Before I let you go, Cheryl, which again, I just appreciate your time so much. This is a question that I, I always finish with and, and ask my guests on this show. What is your hope for the future of, of women in sports, women's sports, players, coaches, um, and just again, the future of women's sports, this next generation? Treat it the same as the men. That's mm-hmm. my hope that, and that what that means is invest, invest, invest in the way that you do with men. You know, we learned today the launch of a nut, yet another football league uh, where they throw millions of dollars at it uh, immediately TV rights deal uh, for it. And so therefore immediate exposure. Um, and so that's my hope is that we can challenge the societal norms uh, that we've, we've lived in for so long as it pertains to women's sports and other things, um, but that, that we can, we can treat it the same as the men. And that, you know, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for sometimes for sure with that. But overall, uh, I think the idea is, you know, treat it like you do the men and you're going to see unbelievable growth, just like we have uh, seen with men's sports through the years. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a great message to end our show with today, Cheryl, again, thank you so much for giving us your time here on Equal Play. It's it's an honor to speak with you about everything going on in the WNBA, USA Basketball, and, and just your experience as a great basketball mind. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Annie. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.